Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 5 this morning. Genesis chapter 5. And while you're finding the place, let me thank Adrian and Brian for their words of welcome and to the elders for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you. And it's my sort of church whenever sweets are around. You're never too old for sweets. I have an 18-month-year-old niece, and I've already got her addicted to those tang fastics, the Haribos. So 18-month-year-olds really shouldn't be having them, but it's an uncle's prerogative, isn't it? I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of Enoch, a man who walked with God. Enoch, a man who walked with God. Commencing to read, please, at verse 18 of Genesis chapter 5. And will you find it? Put your thumb then over in Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis 5, verse 18. And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch eight hundred years, and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years, and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then over to Hebrews chapter 11, you know that's the great hall of faith. And there's a great list of names down through that passage. But whenever we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we go down there to verse 5. And we read there, by faith Enoch was translated, that he should not see death and was not found because... God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We know God will add his blessing to the reading of his inspired word. Let's just bow in a moment's prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come before thee this morning and to bring our praise and our adoration to the name of Jesus Christ today. And Father, as we come around your precious word, we ask, O God, that you would speak to each one of us, that we wouldn't hear the preacher's voice, but that we would hear the voice of God. And that through reading your word and through hearing your word this morning, that we would leave here Change that we would be able to say that it was good for us to be here, for here we met afresh with the Lord, that we would go closer with the Lord, that our prayer this morning would be, Oh, for a closer walk with our God. We ask that you would speak through your Spirit this morning. In the Savior's name we ask it. Amen. If you and I were to go a walk around one of the local graveyards or cemeteries, we'd probably come across some interesting headstones or tombstones. Quite often people choose that inscription that goes on to their headstone as a final memorial. One humorously chose, I told you I was sick. Epitaphs are interesting little things. They tell us about what a person has lived for, what their values have been, and quite often where they are once they have passed away. Whenever we come to that fifth verse of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, we come to a divinely inspired epitaph, one that God himself wrote. It concerned a man that had a tremendous testimony, 
And I think as God's people this morning, we would love it to be said of us that he or she pleased God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if someone down the street looked at us and pointed to us and said, there's a man or a woman that pleases God. She or he walks with God. They're the real deal. Well, such is a man as Enoch. Enoch's a very interesting little character. He's not a man like Abraham or Moses or Daniel, who we have vast swathes of Scripture to speak to us about. The Holy Spirit has only inspired nine verses about this man, the ones that we read in Genesis 5 this morning, then over in Hebrews 11, and then there's two verses about him in the book of Jude. Those verses, however, are packed with information about this man's life. And I want us to see a few things about him this morning, and they all begin with T. I want us to look, first of all, at Enoch's times. You see, Enoch lived in terrible times. It wasn't all just fine and rosy whenever Enoch lived and pleased God. For these were times of depravity and immorality and great spiritual wickedness. You know that there's times in history... Whenever this planet has been more evil, or there's been times where evil is more pronounced than at other times. And you can read secular history and you'll see that. But we've seen this morning already that Enoch was born in Genesis chapter 5. And in that chapter you see the righteous bloodline of Adam and then Seth the whole way down to Noah's sons. But if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 4 this morning we would read how Cain disobeyed the offering requirements of the Lord and how he went and killed his brother Abel. There's the first murder. And the whole way down that chapter, chapter 4, we see the evil bloodline and we see a man called Lamech. Not only was there murder in those days, here was a man and he took to himself two wives. He disregarded the order of the family unit that God had divinely Put down. And then whenever you come over to the other side of Genesis 5 to Genesis 6, we see terrible times indeed. A time that was so absolutely wicked that God stepped in and he destroyed the whole of civilization. Look with me back at chapter 6 and verse 5. I want you just to see how bad things had actually gotten and what God's verdict was. Genesis 6 verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, if I stopped halfway through that verse, that would be horrific enough, wouldn't it? Great wickedness in the air. That's a terrible thing. And I think we can look out around us, across our world and across our province today, and say that we live in a wicked world. World. Wickedness seems to abound on every hand. But God just didn't say that wickedness was great upon the earth. He continued, and I want us to underline this. He said, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now, if that were one man and his imagination was evil continually, someone, dare I say, worse than Hitler or worse. Than Stalin. That would be a very wicked man indeed, wouldn't it? But this wasn't just one man. This was the entirety of the population, men, women, and young people. The whole world was depraved before God. Is it any wonder in verse 6 
We're told that in it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And God had to deal with the sinfulness, the wickedness of of men. And God destroyed the whole thing with the exception of those that were in the ark. See the times that Enoch lived in. Terrible times. Days that were ripe for judgment. And Enoch had warned the people about the coming judgment of God. He's recorded doing that in Jude. And then in Genesis 6, God spoke to his servant Noah. He told him about the impending judgment that was to come. He told him to build the ark. And the scriptures record a really beautiful phrase. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's a man just like Enoch who was walking with his God. Here was a righteous man obeying the command of God. He preached the word of God, and God saved him from the flood. God saved him from the tribulation to come. Why? Because God is a God of mercy. God is a long-suffering God. He's not willing that any should perish. And even in such wicked times, God saved Noah. God raptured Enoch before the impending judgment of God. And thank God this morning, although we live in a very wicked age, God is still in the business of saving souls. God is still in the business of plucking brands from the burning and making men right with God. I wonder this morning, have you been made right with God? You know, as we look out this morning... Our times are by and large just like Enoch's times. Shouldn't really surprise us this morning in the state of our world. You remember the Lord Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Matthew, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Day by day our world gets more like the days of Noah. Politically evil, morally depraved, economically corrupt, sexually immoral. And the world today is ripe for judgment, yet how long-suffering God is. If it were us, he'd have finished off by now. But surely this morning that all the signs point to a soon-returning Savior. When Jesus will come to the air to take his church out before the judgment. It's not the pattern the whole way through Scripture. Just like Enoch was saved, just like Noah was saved... And surely Jesus Christ is coming soon for us. It was Adrian Rogers that used to say that the days are growing darker and darker, but they're coming gloriously darker. For Jesus must and and Jesus will come. Those were the times that Enoch lived in. So we see his times, but look again because I want you to see his transformation. And by that I simply mean Enoch's conversion. See, Enoch was a man just like you and I. He was just common flesh and bone. He was a direct descendant of Adam, and that, of course, made him a sinner by birth. You'll remember the words of Paul there in Romans chapter 5. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Enoch was born a sinner. Enoch was a sinner by practice. Just like you and I this morning, there had to be a time in Enoch's life whenever he came to God as a guilty, rotten, hell-deserving sinner, and he repented of his sins and he put his faith in God. That was the only way that Enoch could ever start to walk with God. It was by faith 
in God. That's recorded over there in Hebrews 11. We were told that by faith, Enoch. Enoch was a man that was saved by faith, just like you and I. Then cast your eye down to verse 22 of Genesis chapter 5, because there we learn that Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. For 65 years of Enoch's life, Enoch wasn't walking with God. He didn't have a personal relationship with God. We have no other details about Enoch's life for those 65 years, but it seems that he didn't have any thought of God, for it was after he begat Methuselah that Enoch was saved. For 300 years after that, Enoch walked with God. See, it seems that God used a very significant event in Enoch's life to convict him of his sin and to call him to himself. How many times have you seen that for yourself? God uses a tragedy to speak and to save someone. There's marital breakdown, a mental breakdown, and God steps in and he saves. Enoch begat Methuselah. That was his firstborn son, a life-changing event. But it seems that this was a point in Enoch's life whenever he got to a crisis point and God revealed something to him of the wrath and the judgment through the birth of his son. You see, the name Methuselah means this. When he shall die, it shall come to pass. Or when he shall die, it will be sent. Well, what was going to be sent? Judgment, the flood. See, Methuselah was a God-given prophecy the judgment was on its way. That the day of grace in that particular dispensation would end exactly the day that Methuselah died. Just like everything else that God says will come to pass, this too came to pass. Because if you do the Mass this morning, you find out that Methuselah died the very year the flood came. 969 years after Enoch got saved. God made Enoch to understand that his son was a symbol of the impending judgment of God. Enoch saw the coming judgment of God, and he turned to the only one that could save him from the wrath to come. He found refuge, he found salvation under the wings of Jehovah. And God saved Enoch, and God delivered Enoch from the judgment to come. For God took him out. God raptured him. Enoch saw that the day of grace was coming to an end. He fled to God for deliverance. Not why you and I need to warn people about the coming wrath to come. Sometimes we're told to tone it down. It's too great for our sophisticated 21st century minds. But dear friends this morning, the wrath of God is real. We must warn them. Because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and people need to flee to the the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. God revealed this to Enoch, and God revealed it to Noah. And I'm sure the people thought that Noah was mad, and they turned their backs on Noah. Yet I'm sure whenever the first droplets of rain started to come from heaven, they must have wondered, is old Noah right? And then the rain gets heavier and heavier and it's up to their ankles and then up to their knees. And by that stage, the door of the ark is closed and they're crying out for them to open the door of the ark, but it's too late. The day of grace 
has ceased. Their cries are unheard. If only they'd listen when God had given them the opportunity. My, what a tragedy that there's some in our families and friends and our work colleagues today that have no thought of God. They've no thought of their souls. Yet you and I as God's people must take every opportunity to tell them, to warn them, to plead with them, to pray for them before the day of grace comes to an end. Not only was Enoch given a message of the impending judgment of God, but Methuselah also preaches today something about the grace of God and the mercy of God. For after all, he was the oldest person that had ever lived. How long-suffering God is. Look with me again, because I want you to see Enoch's testimony this morning. Because Enoch had a wonderful testimony. It's a testimony that's been left as a lasting memorial upon the pages of Scripture. And you and I can learn an awful lot from it. Enoch was saved. Enoch was transformed. And it seems to me that from that day onwards, Enoch said, well, if this is going to happen, then there are three things that I must do. The first thing is found in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch walked with God. Enoch said, I'm going to walk with God. Of course, we've seen him starting to walk with God, for every walk has to have a starting point, and Enoch was saved at age 65. But Enoch wasn't just saved, and that was it. Enoch started to walk with God, and he walked with God for 300 years after his conversion. That speaks to me this morning about consistency, doesn't it? You see, this was evidence of an inward change in Enoch's heart. Yes, he was saved by grace, but whenever you're saved by grace, there's fruit that has to come from the root. In other words, there has to be signs of regeneration in the lives of those that God saves. And some of you can testify to that this morning. Maybe some of you have had dramatic testimonies of how the Lord saved you, and he's turned you from a Saul into a Paul. He's turned you from an Abram into an Abraham. Or maybe this morning you were saved as a child and you can thank God that there was never a long period in your life whenever you weren't walking with God. But Enoch had a dramatic transformation in his life and there was outward fruit that was evidenced in his walk with God. For as I said, there was consistency in his walk. He didn't just start to walk with God and then he tailed off. He walked with God for 300 years. Years. Look at it down in verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Not amazing. For 300 years, Enoch walked with God upon the road of life. On the good days, on the bad days, on the mountain peak experiences, way down in the valley, in the exciting days, on the monotonous days, Enoch walked with God. I'm sure many of you can point to saints who have been on the road of faith for maybe 50, 60, 70 years, and they're, they're just trophies of grace. You go and visit them, and they're radiating godliness. They radiate the presence of God after all of those years. Well, can you imagine bumping in to Enoch just before he was raptured? I mean, how much he must have known of his God. 
How intimate his fellowship must have been. How close he must have walked with God. I just wonder how he far to go whenever God wrapped him for his fellowship was so consistent. Back in the prophet in Amos three and three, we read, "Can two walk together except they be agreed?" You see, Enoch and God had to be in agreement. That tells me that Enoch was obedient to the word of God. He walked in the ways of God. He agreed with God. He was subservient to the will of God. And they walked together as friend with friend. You see, for Enoch. God wasn't just some distant deity that he really struggled to find. God was no optional extra for Enoch. Here's a man who intimately knew God. He spent time in communion with God. His constant prayer was that of the Apostle Paul, that I might know him. God's presence was very real to Enoch as he walked the road of life. Wonder in the last week since you last met as a, a company of believers, have you felt that intimate communion with God? Have you felt His nearness on those days that have been so difficult? On those nights that have been lonely in the events of life, have you, like Enoch, had that sweet and that intimate communion with God? Enoch knew that consistency. God never left him. Adrian quoted that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Why? Because you and I as God's people have the indwelling spirit of God within us. The third person of the Trinity indwells you and I. We have his presence constantly. That's why God could say to Moses, my presence shall go with thee. It's not a wonderful comfort whenever the world walks out. Isn't that a wonderful comfort that we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, that he is touched this morning with the feeling of our infirmities whenever no one else seems to understand? Enoch walked with God consistently. But to walk with God, he had to walk in the same direction as God. There's not much point in me meeting you for a walk and you go that way and, and I go this way, is there? They had to walk in the same direction. That meant that Enoch had to pursue holiness. He had to pursue righteousness. He had to become conformed into the image of God's dear Son because God doesn't come down to human standards. God sets the holy standard. He's infinitely holy. The gold bar, if you like. And Enoch was a man that had to be constantly putting away sin, putting off the old man and becoming more like God as he walked the road of life. But if Enoch was to walk in the same direction as God, he had to find out the will of God for his life, didn't he? That meant spending time alone with God. Now remember, Enoch didn't have a Bible. God revealed to Enoch through the revelation that he got of the impending judgment, and he revealed that God would have mercy upon Enoch. But Enoch had to spend time with God to find out the will of God for his life. One dear friend this morning, do you and I do that? With the big decisions in life, with those small things that seem insignificant decisions? Do we really seek the Lord's will? Do we really seek to discern, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Whenever it comes to the job, 
whenever it comes to the next stage of your education, maybe whenever it comes to downsize to a smaller house, do we spend time with God and seek the Lord's will? See, we can be so busy making plans and putting plans into place with very little thought of God, and very quickly we're outside of the will of God. Not Enoch. Walked in the same direction as God, but he also had to walk at the same pace as God. He wasn't to walk any faster than God's timing. He wasn't to linger behind God's timing. He had to walk in the ways and the timings of God. Now, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because sometimes the Lord wants us to wait. And if you're anything like me, you're not the most patient. You like things to be done yesterday. We live in a day of information at our fingertips and fast food. We're used to everything being so quick. But yet sometimes God brings us to the place where we have to, we have to wait. Psalmist alone tells us 25 times that we have to wait upon the Lord. And you remember one of those famous verses, the day that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Sometimes God brings us to the place of waiting to teach us great lessons. But then at other times, God can really stretch us. It was F.B. Meyer who upset the Kazakh conference one time whenever he said it's difficult to walk with God because he takes big steps. Sometimes you and I don't want to keep up with him. But that's consistent with how God has operated through the various dispensations in Scripture. You remember Abraham. God taught Abraham about his faithfulness in a time of waiting. He waited so long for young Isaac to come along. And then whenever Isaac was up into his teens, God tested Abraham. He asked him to take a big step of faith, to bring him up the mountain and to sacrifice his son. And what did Abraham do? He went through with God. He took a huge step of faith. He believed in God. And what did God do? God provided for Abraham. Never lets his children down. What about Daniel down in Babylon? What about those early Christians under persecution? What about George Mueller? What about William Carey? What about you and I this morning? Enoch walked consistently with God. He walked in the same direction as God. He walked at the same pace as God. And Enoch walked with God. Not only did Enoch walk with God, he also had faith in God. That verse that we read in Hebrews 11 and 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. As I said, Hebrews 11 is commonly referred to as the hall of faith. You see that little phrase down that chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith. Enoch had saving faith that we know that. But he also had faith in the everyday. You know that little acronym for faith, forsaking all I trust him. And that's what Enoch was doing day by day, living by faith for 300 years after he started to walk with God. Here's a man who believed all that God said. Whenever God told him about the impending judgment of God, Enoch had faith that God would save him from that judgment. He believed every promise of God and he believed all that God said in his word. Irrespective of whether it made sense to Enoch, Enoch lived just simply by faith. Sometimes you and I can miss out on that, don't we? 
God says something to us through his word and he applies it by his spirit. But then we start to bring in our human reasoning. We start to bring in our human logic and we, we lean on our own understanding and we go our own way. Rather than simply trusting whatever befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. But instead of doing that, we don't have the faith that God expects us to have. We get ourselves into all sorts of trouble, but not Enoch. Enoch walked by faith. He trusted God with all of his heart. He committed everything into the hand of God, and God never failed them. Thousands of years later, you and I live in a day and age whenever we have the whole counsel of God. We have thousands of years of history that Enoch didn't have. How much more should we be able to trust our God this morning for he's faithful? He'll never let you die. He's no man's debtor. We need to have faith in him this morning. For look at the third little point in Enoch's testimony. For not only did he walk with God, not only did he have faith in God, but he also pleased God. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that God could ever say about someone's life. That he or she pleased God. Of course, it was Enoch's walk that pleased God. It was Enoch's faith that pleased God. But what a tremendous testimony for a man that he pleases God. You see, there wasn't an external side to Enoch's life. There wasn't a wee bit that everybody seen, and then there was this internal side that was totally different. Each part of Enoch's life was pleasing to God. The spiritual wasn't segregated from the secular. Enoch didn't just please God on a Sunday morning and then live like he, how he liked during the week. No, here's a man, and he pleases God with the entirety of his life. He walks with God. He has faith in God. He pleases God. Remember the times that he was living in wicked death. Sin abounded on every hand, yet in the middle of it all, here's a man and he, he pleases God. If you forget everything this morning that I've said, then remember this. Doesn't matter about your environment around you. Doesn't matter about your circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on in the secular evil society that we live in. It is possible to please God. It is possible. And remember, Enoch was just a man like you and me, yet here he is. He's living a life that's pleasing to God. Now that's challenging this morning, isn't it? Whenever you put it all into context, whenever you think about the times that he lived in, he pleased God. Think about Daniel again for a moment. There's a young man and he's carried away down into Babylonian captivity. He's in a strange culture. He's learning a new language. He's got new customs. But what did Daniel do? He made it his priority to pray as was his custom. He wouldn't eat the king's meat. And not one person in the land could find fault in Daniel because he pleased God. That's not an easy thing to do down there in Babylon. Remember, Daniel was the, he became the prime minister, yet he pleased God. Dear friends, this morning, if you and I are to please God, we have to walk with Him. That means spending time with Him. And we might have to shut the door on other things that we, we want to do. We'll have to shut the door on the Netflix and the, the TV and spend time with God. But we must walk by faith. We must walk with God, just like Enoch did, and, and he pleased God. 
God promises them that honor me, I will honor. My time's gone, but look very quickly with me at Enoch's translation in Genesis chapter 5. For there we see that the span of his life was 365 years. For 65 years of that, he had no testimony. But then for 300 years, he walked with God. But, but Enoch didn't die. We're told in Hebrews 11:5 by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. You know this morning that that's only happened to two people so far. They've went to heaven without going through the article of death. There's Enoch, that man that walked with God. And then there was Elijah who was caught up in that whirlwind into heaven. They never died. That's in stark contrast to that bleak obituary column in Genesis 5. Because if you look down that, in verse 8 you see that Seth died. Then in verse 11, you read the refrain again, and he died, verse 14, and he died. And that whole chapter has this, and he died. It's as if God is calling Satan out as the liar that he is. You remember in the Garden of Eden, whenever he came to tempt Eve, he said, if you eat of that tree, ye shall not surely die. But here's God saying, Genesis 5, and he died, and he died, and he died. But in the midst of that obituary column, we see Enoch, a man who breaks the mold. He was not, for God took him. He was raptured. You know, the rapture of Enoch is just a prelude of what will happen whenever God's people are raptured. One day, it could be today. I believe some of us could go without going through the article of death. But someday, Christ is going to come to the sky for his bride, for the church, and we will be raptured. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is one of those classic rapture passages. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Someday cars will begin down the motorway with no driver because God took the driver. People will wake up and relatives will have vanished out of sight to be with Jesus. Someday millions will go. The world won't have an explanation, but the testimony of God's people will be this, that they were not fine. Does that not give us motivation to live like like Enoch did? To walk by faith, to walk with God, and for it to be said of us on that day that he or she pleased God. May God help us to be such people. Let's stand and sing in closing the hymn 536. It's a wonderful hymn. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Now let's really sing this good hymn out, please.
Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts this morning, and we pray that we would be like Enoch, that we would walk closely with our God, that we could echo the words of the Apostle Paul, that we might know him, and the power of his resurrection and the, the fellowship of his sufferings. And Father, that on that last day when Jesus comes, we'll be found as people that please our God. Lord, we pray today that everyone in this building and those that are watching online will be caught up in that day, that none will be left behind, that the circle will be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by. Write your word upon our hearts, we pray. As the preacher's voice goes silent, we ask that the Spirit of God would speak on, for we ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. <laughs> 